Welcome to the Get Sacred Podcast. I'm your host, intuitive life coach, Melissa Elysian, and I'm here to teach you how to create more money, more love, and more sacred success. If you're ready to create a lusciously abundant and pleasure-filled life, you're in the right place. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. This week on the podcast, I'm so, so very excited because I decided to um, connect with one of my homegirls so that we could talk about mental health as a POC and just like navigating the system as Black women and like how we take care of ourselves and how we've gone about looking for therapists that like can meet our needs and what they are and also like what it's like for us as Black women working in mental health in the United States. So I'm really happy to have her here. Um, Today we've got Alicia Cruz, LCSW. She graduated from Berkeley. Alicia and I have been friends for what? How long has it been? Three years? Four, Four years? Yeah, I think just about three years. So we've been friends for a couple of years. She runs a private practice. She sees clients throughout the state of California. She is a mom. She is a wife. She is a daughter. She is my friend. She's my homegirl. And we just, I don't know, whenever we do like brunch or whenever we chat, we chat all things Black women in mental health. So I just thought, why not capture the goodness and share it with you all? My initial intentions were for us to like, make this very resourceful podcast episode where you would have like all these answers to things that you needed. And then I was like, no, there's so much genius and brilliance in just hearing our experience. And if you find that it resonates with yours, hopefully it's beneficial to you and we can share insights and give you some clues from our life experience and our work experience on how to navigate what truly can sometimes be a really difficult uh, like system to just have to even remotely engage with, <laughs> to be honest, to be honest. <laughs> so I guess what I'll start with is, Alicia, just tell us about like, mm, maybe tell us how long you've been in the work. Tell us about your race and ethnicities. Tell us about like just how your identity in the work. Okay, so um, I have been in the mental health field um, for about 10 years now. You know, I started off uh, doing peer counseling, kind of that type of stuff. I dipped my toe in the waters. Um, And then I worked, you know, doing groups and working in a psychologist uh, practice. And I definitely love to talk. So I was like, you know, I need to go not just this peer counseling route. Like I need to be a therapist and kind of helping folks that way. And honestly, initially, I had some not so great experiences with other therapists. So for a while, I was like, no, maybe I'll be a victim advocate or maybe I'll, you know, do social work in a different capacity. Um, But once I kind of put that aside, I was like, you know, there are so few of us like I I want to I wish I had someone like me, you know, so I got into the work um, that way. And so I've worked with a lot of. Uh, like trauma, anxiety, depression, um, and and I think it just the it's part of my purpose, you know. And I think bringing that realness to the table of I'm not some cookie cutter therapist who is like, yes. And how did that make you feel? Right. <laughs> it's very much like 
oh, and then what did you say? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I, I that's what I bring to the table, and that's what I really uh, enjoy about this work is, you know, just getting to walk beside people and because the system, like you said earlier, it is it is a broken, flawed system. And so people fall through the cracks, people feel like they're not seen or heard. And so to be able to be like, oh, no, hey, you black girl there in the back. Yes, I see you. I know you don't have to explain the things, right? Like, I get it. Yes. Now let's do the work. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you said so much that I want to, <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. So the first thing that you um, said that like really jumped out at me is like, let us talk about the experience like what it is because I'm also working I do the work I also work in mental health I am still part of the system I, I have my coaching business but I also still do some psychedelic work as a nurse so I'm thinking about what you're saying about like how our personal experiences impact how we show up to the work I definitely have ch made choices about showing up in places and doing particular work because I recognize there was no one there that looked like me. And it wasn't like, because I was like, oh, I want to be unique and special. No, because that's uncomfortable in those settings. It was more so because I was like, no, people need to see someone like the person who looks like me needs to see someone like me here because of the experiences I've had and what it's meant to be in places where I cannot find anyone who understands what I've been through. So maybe we should start with our own experiences. And I'm I'm going to even offer, like, I have plenty of past experiences, but still, even to this day, as a person who really understands mental health and has experience in the field, it can be really challenging to find what I need, given, like, the parameters of, like, I have to go through my health insurance. And my health insurance doesn't have a, like, a box that says person of color so that I can click it so that I can see through, like... Who are your people that you got that I don't have to explain the backstory? You know what I mean? So it's like the backstory. It's like the front story. It's like the whole, it's like the, over, the whole it's context. Like, it's the whole context, right? It's like my whole life is through this lens of being in this body. And now I have to see somebody who has no idea. Okay. I'm I'm going over the top with a no idea, <laughs> but like who really cannot, who cannot drop in and who needs to be, okay, here's the part that I'm going to stop. I'm stopping myself because here's the thing that it really comes down to. It's not even just like not knowing. It's not about them not having the experience. It's really about having me having to do the work of teaching them while I'm trying to be helped. That's the thing that is the biggest problem. So I'm going to like spin this in your direction and you tell me what has it been like for you? I mean, yes, you do the work now, but you still have a black body. So what has it been like for you navigating the system and finding what you need in therapists? Um, I think really quick, just the, the burden of having to do the emotional work for your mm -hmm. provider and them like actively learning from you, right? Like incredibly frustrating because like you said, it's that it's like a dual relationship, right? Which is frowned upon. We don't do that, but you are teaching your provider and it's like, well, this isn't helpful. Like it, A, and I'm paying good money to come see yes. you, even if it's just a copay. Yes. And <laughs> like, what, you want me to pay this money? And I, like, 
I'm giving you a, a training of it. No, <laughs> I, yes. I'm just like, I'm, my eyes are closed. I'm like, hallelujah. Mm. Yes. So the, the trouble, so <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're, I have an hour, not even, I have 50 minutes with you. Let's just call it facts. I have 50 minutes with you and 20 of them, if I'm talking about anything related to race, might be me trying to explain my mm -hmm. experience and even with anyone's like best attempts I still have to do labor now I'm not a front I've worked through this system like I've had lots of therapists who are not persons of color so it's mm, tragically feels very normal but I have to it makes me think about the people who like get their full hour mm -hmm. you know they get their full hour of someone understanding what they're talking about versus whatever I'm getting, <laughs> whatever I'm getting for having to explain what's going on and not have someone like second guess what I'm talking about and not having to start from scratch instead of like talking to somebody who allows me to skip all of the steps <laughs> where I don't, where I can say what happened and they get it. Like they just get what they get, what I was feeling and what I was experiencing, what was wrong with it without me having to give all of the details and like get into the minutia, you know, like, yes. Yeah. And I think that that mutual understanding is, is like the key component of why you need to experience someone who who gets it right like they don't have to have taken some cultural humility training they won't be saying microaggressions like oh you know I did an internship in Compton right like they what? just know <laughs> right girl I have I oh have my, had I'm folks dead. say like oh I worked in Richmond I know I, no please no. stop like I don't and then that's the labor too like correcting the behavior of that was problematic and here's why but do I want to do that when I really just need to cry right now? Like, I really just need you to hold space for me. Um, I think my experience is navigating the system. You know, when I was young, you know, like 19, 20, um, seeing a therapist uh, at the time I lived in South Carolina and I saw, um, you know, it was not a non-PLC. Uh, it was this white woman and she, you know, had all the degrees in the wall and I, my insurance, I got like five sessions through the EAP, which is like the employee assistance program or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I like, I had a toxic work environment. I was like being discriminated against. There had been some sexual harassment issues. Like I was going through it. Okay. And I came to her so, so raw and so vulnerable and so green, right? Like not knowing, having grown up in a, an environment that was predominantly uh, like Latino, Filipino and black. Like I, I didn't know, right? Like it's that danger of not knowing and coming to her, there were some helpful things, right? But sometimes it was like, she just didn't get it. So stopping to stopping my crying and my tears to explain to her why it was it was violent when someone said a certain thing to me or why I didn't feel safe driving some of these backcountry roads in South Carolina because there's a Confederate flag. And to her, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's the history. But no. <laughs> and I think uh, the for me, that experience um, I didn't use all my all my sessions with this therapist, even though I needed the help, um, because 
I was telling her, you know, the stresses I was going through in my current relationship. And it was just, you know, because life is hard sometimes and navigating, you know, one of my first serious relationships, kind of typical life stuff. Um, And what came out of her mouth instead of validation and comforting and kind of problem solving, which is probably what I needed. It was, well, whatever you do, don't get pregnant. How are you just going to leave my jaw on the floor repeatedly? Yeah. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, she's got me messed up right now. Mm. Like who, like I had a good job. I wasn't, you know, in my mind, I was like, she is treating me like I'm trash. Like you're just like going to get knocked up by some random guy. And I'm like, no, like I'm in a committed relationship And that has, you know, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing, right? So she brings her own bias to the table of like, you're going to be a young black mom on welfare, right? Like immediately. She had a story and she Mm -hmm. was going to save you from it. And my thing was like, you, okay, white savior, right? Like, (laughs) okay, here you are doing, doing this service. And it's just like, so misattuned, right? Like as therapists, we really have to make sure that we, can can get the context and that we um we build that rapport with our client that we know right even if we have a little misstep it shouldn't be that far uh misaligned that we're just being prejudiced and putting them off yeah because some people right like in in my work there's clients that I meet and they're like I haven't been to a therapist in 10 years like my last experience was you know awful And it's a lot of the times when it's so hard as a black person or a person of color to even admit that we need some help. And then to have that experience, like it can turn people off for a lifetime. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, we're both healthcare professionals. So we're in the position to like, want to recommend that everyone get support. And I definitely understand what why I get pushback sometimes, why people are not interested in participating in the system, why they don't trust it, why they're not going to do it, why it's, why it's overly complicated. It's overly complicated and why, because of that, they're not even going to bother. They already know it's set up in such Mm -hmm. a way that they're not, that it's going to be hard. And I mean, I encourage them nonetheless, but what you're saying is absolutely true. I think one of my like biggest grievances, if I haven't said that already, because I'm probably going to say everything is my biggest grievance. (laughs) One of my biggest grievances, I think, is that right now anyway, is that I really feel like without having the right therapist, because I've had plenty of, um, I've had plenty of therapists who are Caucasian, who are white. And I'm not going to say that none of them have helped me. That's not true. That would be a lie. I've had a lot of help. And I've actually had help from therapists who are white with issues around race that were actually very helpful. It was very beneficial for me to have them as an ally. Like it was helpful, supportive. And it was mm, even I'm going to offer like a little bit healing to have them show up for me in that way. But my biggest grievance is the work that doesn't get done because I'm not with the right person. So like, mm-hmm. I would say maybe once or twice, probably once I've had a therapist that I could bring a racial issue to and 
they actually made a monumental, like help, help me make monumental shifts around it and find some healing around it. But in most cases, I cannot go deep. Like it's not safe for me to do that. And also like our system is not really set up for us to be able to do this work. Like one, one thing that like drives me crazy, I'm just going to say the grievances over and over again, <laughs> is oh, that please. like, because racial trauma is not like necessarily officially determined as like, uh, like a diagnosis, not that I really even believe in that shit, but like, that's how the system works. We have these diagnoses because you, because no one is considering our racial trauma that we've experienced since we were born. And that goes back through our lineages for decades, even though the science for generations, even though the science tells us that those, that, that um, hurt, that racial trauma is coming down to us no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's no place yet that that is seen as like a reason why someone might have PTSD. But as far as I'm concerned, and when I look at like what is determined by PTSD, you know, here I am, I'm a black woman. You will not find me out at night in the streets in my rural community. Everybody's very, very nice during the day, but you're not gonna find me (laughs) driving through the back roads of these like this country little town um, as a black woman. And it's not because I'm afraid of the dark. It's because that's not a safe place for me to be, right? Like when we go missing, we don't make the news, my friends. (laughs) Like when we go, when people hurt us, they don't go punished, they go free. Like that's what is real. And despite the fact that I have to adjust my life. It's not even adjust. That's my life is shaped by the fact that I am not safe in so many ways because of how my body is not appreciated. Oh, excuse me. Can you hear that? They've decided barely. They've decided to start drilling during the recording. So I'm gonna put on my headphones. But like I was saying, because it's not like because my body is not worshipped and appreciated and adored and respected and protected like it should be there's so many things about the way that I live my life that are that signify that I've experienced trauma and that that trauma lives in my body right that I have fears that that would otherwise be deemed as related to a traumatic history that gets overlooked and because it's not in the DMS five um, I'm talking too quickly. And because, because, because of that, um, it's just like, where are we supposed to go? Who are we supposed to talk to? Right? Like, it's not even a thing thing. And certainly the having a majority of the therapists be white, which is just what it is, means that I, I'm not having this thing addressed. Like, I don't get to do my racial trauma work in the way that, other people get to get their mental health care needs addressed in therapy if I don't have the right person to do it. Exactly. And I think like you brought up, it's not emotionally safe, right? To do that and to open up. And I think it's something like 4% of therapists or all mental health workers are black, you know, and that's it. Yeah. There's only (laughs) that that little few of us. Well, and, um, oh man, I forgot you brought up a really good point. The, so about, the diagnosing, right? Like we get misdiagnosed 
so, so much. Oh my god! Because there's there's cultural things that people just don't understand, and there's aspects where if somebody is is irritable, right? Like automatically, oh, like angry black woman, or like oh, this black man who is justifiably angry, right? Like now he's labeled as combative and aggressive. And, and maybe he's even violent, you know? And then sometimes, right, like the way that our symptoms present, a white clinician who has no frame of reference for that and doesn't get it and is scared, right? Scared of their client. Oh my goodness, they must be psychotic. And then that's in someone's chart and it follows them around. Or worse yet, oh, they have a personality disorder because they um, they were very resistant and they were, you know, trying to emotionally manipulate me. And it's like, when you don't even fundamentally understand someone, you can't get an accurate diagnosis. Absolutely. Right. And you do so much damage because these charts, right? Like these insurance companies, um, the, the chart follows someone around and it's like, then it just gets repeated over and over again. And so someone can be sitting in front of a clinician, and tell them like, oh, I was misdiagnosed. But if they see, right, like borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, like if they see some of these diagnoses, they're like, no, like you're you're too acute. I can't work with you. Right. There's and, so many, there's so many, you gave so many good examples and there's so many, tragically, there's so many more, like the times where a person of color or an indigenous person speaks about spirituality, speaks about their ancestors speaks about mm-hmm. their religious practice in a way like it's fine to talk to Jesus, but if you say you're talking to your ancestors, then we don't know <laughs> whether or not you're mentally stable, right? And like, and then they medicate you. And then they, right. Or, you know, what happens to kids who would otherwise get an ADHD diagnosis, but because they're of color, they're having, they're, it's just strictly behavioral issues and they're not provided the same support that maybe another kid could. <sighs> I feel like I'm venting and we might just be, but it's, it's, I think it's good because I, I want people who maybe haven't recognize these patterns for themselves to become aware of them so that they can make better decisions for themselves and so that they can like have feel a little bit more autonomy about knowing how that these practices happen and that like you're not alone if you feel like somebody came at you the wrong way about you doing a very normal and saying a very normal mm-hmm. thing in your community but all of a sudden it gets perceived some kind of way yeah I mean, it's not you it's the system Right. And I mean, I suppose that anyone in a a brown body or body of color understands that, but I just want to offer through the lens of two people who actually work in the system, we also recognize these issues and like we're like we are aware of them we are conscious of them and we also grieve (laughs) we freaking grieve this stuff as it happens around us and as we try to advocate for different things for our clients I mean I don't want to keep like griping on it as much as I want people to know that like if somebody said something to you and you felt the sort of kind of way then it's okay like trust your gut trust your gut you know what's up Right. And so, you know, when I think about like the importance of finding somebody that you feel safe to talk to, I really, 
I'm I'm sad about how challenging it can be. Like I was saying earlier, you can't just go to your insurance website all the time and just like click out. I would like to work with a person of color. It's not the easiest thing for you to do that. We have to really take the time and the energy. And I know people who opt out of therapy altogether because they don't know if they can find a person of color to work with. Well, and I think too, uh, sometimes like when I worked in agencies, your your picture is kind of lost somewhere in the company's internal directory, right? Like if they even have it up on their website, which is another thing all entirely. But, you know, if you go to like, we'll say psychology today, um, even me knowing that system, it's so hard to navigate and and say the the parameters, right? Like I want somebody in San Diego who is black and is trained in a certain modality, right? And then sometimes too, what those search engines do, even if like somebody says that they work with black or African-American people, they'll show you that clinician, even though that's not, you're not looking for somebody who works with that. You're looking for somebody who identifies as that, right? Yes, they don't have that. They definitely don't have that. No. <laughs> distinguish. And I feel like that's a very like, I mean, I have done searches where I specifically look like who is doing work on racial trauma. So challenging to find like, hello, have we all decided? I, I thought we all agreed racial trauma was a, a thing. No, we didn't agree. So you, so it's very hard to find it to like tweeze out what you need. And even if you go to a practices site, it's really it can be really hard. What I definitely recommend is regardless of what your insurance offers you, like if all you have is the option to see a therapist who is not a person of color and uh, or specifically a black person and you can, I think you should go see someone. But if you can on your own dime facilitate seeing someone else occasionally to make room for the things that get untouched and unseen, like we deserve to have those things healed we have we deserve to have those things attended to we we deserve to have that and so I definitely encourage people to like look for other opportunities and spaces for you to have the conversations where you can have that healing and I when I say healing it's not like it's gonna make it go away the situation at hand in the United States is (laughs) what it is and I'm not Listen, I am a very positive person. Every personality t- test that I ever take says that I have the ability to see a positive future. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence that I'm a life coach. Like not a surprise. Every time someone tells me something, I can see exactly the path of how they can get there. But the same positive person that I am, I don't have very high hopes for the United States. It's not, it's just something that I don't have. And so given we're going to continue to deal with what we're dealing with, it makes space like we have to put in the effort to take care of that, like, and just not assume just because the dominant culture thinks that we should just carry the burden of our trauma on our backs while we teach it to them, that we actually take the time to find the communities, the spaces, the people, the therapists that we need to do the work of like untangling ourselves from what Mm -hmm. white supremacy delusion has told us about ourselves and also to attend to the wounds uh, inflicted by it. Um, And I'm curious, I'm gonna ask you like, what are the ways that you yourself attend to those things? And like, what do you recommend? 
Um, I think definitely I am in therapy, right? Like therapists need therapy too. (laughs) Um, And that is my space to, to just be able to vent and process and cry and be angry and just work through all those complicated things. And I think it's definitely a privilege, right? That I was able to find a black woman who, um, who I connect with and we, we vibe and she gets it. Um, and right now, you know, I think, um, I, uh, oh man, I am forgetting this author's name, but I got this book that's, um, like a hundred self-care activities for black women or something like this. Um, and I have been earmarking every page. So depending on whatever mood I'm in, I don't even have to do the mental energy to think about what I'm going to do. I can just be like, oh, these are more like physical tasks. Okay, I'm going to wash my face. Oh, I'm going to soak in the tub. Oh, I'm Mm going to like practice uh, learning my guitar again. And I have these ideas already so that I can remove some of that trauma and stress from my body. Um, And I think, you know, I am going to derail us and go right back just a little bit um, <laughs> go about the insurance, right? Because I think these systems are, are doing what they were meant to do, right? Like they're not necessarily meant to make people well, Wait right? Like they're meant. Wait a second. Wait a second. Did she say? I sure did. <laughs> you said what it was. And then I was like, hold up. And that's the truth. <laughs> And not only that's, is it difficult, that's what they're made for. You're a hundred percent. I'm like, why are we talking about this without attending to the fact that what it is? The context. Is. Yes. <laughs> well, and these insurance companies, right? Like they reimburse so low for like on the, um, being a therapist on my end of it, right? Like they reimburse so low and sometimes sporadically and inconsistently, like, and they make us jump through all these hoops to get credentialed and be on their licensing or they're on their uh, insurance panel. And then they pay us peanuts sometimes, if if at all, right? And then you have to assign somebody a diagnosis and jump through more hoops in order to, to help them. And then it's like, you know, like in my practice, I don't accept insurance right now because it was such a headache. And it's like, you know, the reality was how can I take care of myself and do this work if I'm spending all this time and energy chasing my tail in the system, you know? And I think that on the, on the client's end, when you go to your insurance and you say, Hey, I found this amazing provider. They may say, okay, we'll give you 12 sessions. And you're like, how do I work through a lifetime of racial trauma in like three months? Girl, what? (laughs) How do I, that's the thing that listen, drives me nuts. I I don't know how many times I will say iterations of this, but that's something that really drives me nuts is the idea that like when people, okay, I'm going to tell a quick story to explain my frustration. I was doing an orientation at a job where I was doing mental health. I really like this organization. It's one of the favorite organizations that I worked with. I love their onboarding process for for clinicians and therapists. And it was great, except for one day where they played this video, like this is the summer that George Floyd was murdered. It's nine o'clock in the morning and they're playing this video to like teach about like racial competence and stuff, whatever. And then someone's, one of the video that they're playing is this woman who's um, reciting a poem 
and she's reciting a poem about what it's like to live in the streets of Chicago in an area where there's a lot of gun violence and she's talking about that violence and seeing bodies on the street and it's 9 a.m. Okay. And I'm like, excuse me, this is a lot. This is a bit much. <laughs> uh-huh. And the person who was doing the training, he was just like, well, the assumption is that like, you're doing this work that you can handle this stuff. And I was like, wait a second, let's pause a moment. Yes. I understand that as a, a mental health care uh, provider, that the work that I have to do on my own, I, I really need to attend to it before I can sit with other people's grief and whatnot or, or variations of whatever they're going on. But what I had to explain to him is like, please understand that what I experience as a black woman never stops. There's not this thing where I can heal from what you're showing me. Mm-hmm. Ne- I have never had that opportunity. It never stops happening. So whatever you think that I was going to have healed before I saw this video at nine fucking in the morning, and I'm telling you it's, it's a bit much, <laughs> and you're telling me that I should already be healed from it, let me, uh, let me assure you that I have never had the chance to heal from it. Like, when? Where, when, when, when you all stop, and I'm being terrible right now, right? But like when white supremacy ends, then sure, if you give me a moment, I will attend to healing all of my racial trauma in time to help everybody else. But in reality, in a world that is constantly offering me the same thing every single day, asking me to hear over and over again how our society is willing to let police officers murder us in our sleep and that never seems to stop. At what point, when did you want me to complete this healing so that I could be prepared (laughs) for what you're talking about? You know, they wanted you to do it in between having to work twice as hard to get half as far. They wanted you to do it in between, you know, all these other systemic oppressions. You should have done your homework. I just, I was just like, this is not like, this is not like some trauma that happened to me when I was a kid. And then I've been working through it. This is not about like something that happened to me last year. And I've been seeing my person privately about it. This is something that is constantly happening over and over and over and over again. It's not like it doesn't get done. I've never had a chance to like, have it be finished, you know? And I, I, I tell that story, I'm almost forgetting why I tell that story, but you were talking about the the health insurance companies and like the 12 sessions. And it's just like, what? Like, what are you, what, what are are you talking about? And I mean, on the other end as a provider, as a person who shows up for people, we do the best we can with the time that we have to show up for people. Mm -hmm. But the system does really make it very challenging you know, what you said about having to take um, cash only, you know, like having people have to pay out of pocket for your practice. The truth is that the insurance companies can become a hindrance. They keep people from having what they need. And sometimes getting them out of the way is the best way to find the people who can, who need you and can actually like make something happen. That's why I was making the recommendation, like whether you need to find someone who's willing to see you once a month, or you can pay for it it to see someone every single um, week, 
or you just have someone who like, well, is willing to like, let you do a session here and there, like give yourself permission to not let your insurance company decide what you need for your mental health and your well-being. Cause I assure you, as Alicia said, that's not really what it's not really about what you need. It's not really about what's best for your well-being, unfortunately. And so if you don't take responsibility for yourself, and I like I almost want to apologize as if I had something to do with it. It works against me too. I want you to take authority over your well-being in that regard and like see it as something that is a part of what you have to pay for as opposed to what your insurance is going to pay for because your insurance is not prioritizing your racial trauma it is not prioritizing all sorts of things frankly that you need and they you know they end up like talking about unfair payment and wages and things, right? Like they will pay like bigger, uh, bigger hospitals and organizations, a higher, um, a higher rate than say like, Oh, Alicia, you are a licensed clinical social worker. We're only going to pay you this amount. Like maybe we'll pay you $50 less per session than we do to, uh, to Kaiser, for example. Right. Yeah. But uh, Alicia and went to Berkeley. So give her her money. Yeah, give her <laughs> coins, okay. Well, and I think the, the struggle too, is even, even being in the field, like I'm always trying to network and connect and find people who do have the bandwidth to have a sliding scale or like, hey, what's that resource? Who who uh, is accepting new clients and trying to like, you know, make all those connections? Because you know, the reality is, I get calls and emails from clients all the time who are like, hey, I feel you. I can't afford you right now, but like, can you point me in the right direction? Yeah. And I think it's so hard, um, you know, trying to find someone who will actually respond and pick up the phone because we're all living through this pandemic. Yes. And so people. I feel like are are hard pressed of like okay I have I have this uh, space a little bit I do want to paying attention to my mental health where how do I even start? Yes, this brings me back to the other question. I'm glad that you took a little detour. We went back to the insurance, but it brings me back <laughs> to like the ways that you're taking care anyway because I found that like knowing that it's not enough, I've had to be very smart and very creative around all of the ways that I show up for myself in this capacity and what I um, suggest for other people. So you were answering like, what are the ways that you um, do this for yourself? Is there anything else that you wanted to add to that before I share some of the ways that I do it? Um, I really, Uh, because I tend to be like a very anxious person, you know, and I think part of that is the, the racial trauma and, you know, regular trauma sprinkled in there too. Um, But I really connect with the things that like my simple pleasures and the things that make me happy, you know, so even when I'm frustrated and I'm burnt, I will, you know, spend extra time tucking my kids in that night. So I get Mm -hmm. a little bit of extra love. You know, I'll I'll call my mom and talk to her or I'll text one of my friends, send them a funny meme. And it's that little, little bit of connection. You know, I think that for me, I community connection, love, like those are my my strongest core values. And I know sometimes people, um, right, it's like money, power, fame. <laughs> yeah. But I think that um for me, it's those things that kind of keep me grounded and keep me. Like, okay, 
I'm not alone in this, even though sometimes it is lonely and just very depressing, right? Like making my connections. That's the, that's the thing that helps me to kind of keep chugging along. What about you? I hear you. I mean, the pandemic, people overlook how lonely the pandemic has been. Like, yes, we're more online Zoom meetings up the wazoo. Like, (laughs) it's a lot, but it's actually been a very lonely pandemic. So many people have been isolated. It's, it is a great like hardship to actually stay connected right now, just like traveling and all of that stuff. And I think people overlook how um, not being connected in that way is actually impacting how we feel. It's not just like when you feel like you miss your family, like know that your whole, your whole nervous system, your whole, all of your like, you know, the way that your brain works, serotonin and dopamine, all of that stuff is impacted by the the hugs, the kisses, the spaces that you see, the smiles that you see. And these days we're seeing a lot more of that on screen than we are in person, right? Like actual faces, like without a mask on is not, we're not seeing that as often as we normally would besides looking at on our devices, just because of the way that things are. And I'm not, this isn't me saying anything about not having any masks. That's a whole nother conversation. I'm just saying literally that that's something that's missing from our, like for our nervous system. It's just like seeing people smile and seeing their faces and like really connecting in that way. Our bodies are kind of programmed for that. But um, I love what you're bringing up about connection because that's one of the number one ways that I'm taking care right now is like thinking about community. I've been thinking a lot about community care and like how we nourish each other. So you know, because we have a, now we have a standing brunch date every month, right? Like we had one before, pre-COVID we had one and then COVID was like tipped everybody on their ass. Like (laughs) we didn't know. And now we're back to our like ritualistic meeting to have brunch. And um, I've intentionally have created rituals that um, facilitate connection for me. Like that's one of the ways that I'm taking care. And those rituals, like those rituals of connection include spaces where I could grieve and mourn and complain and bitch about the parts that are hurting with people who understand and I don't have to start from scratch and they can be like, girl. And then I can be like, oh, I feel seen and heard and understood. And that goes a long way for healing. So it's interesting because ritual is not really like I'm not very big on them. I have a few, but I'm not very big on things that I do every single day. Like I eat every day. I brush my teeth and shower every day. Like I'm not a like, oh, I work out every day or I like read every day or I anything every day. But now like COVID, it might be COVID plus my age. I have no idea. But now ritual feels like life-giving and supportive in ways that I've always shunned like my partner has lots of rituals and I'm like oh my gosh you're such a good adult look at you with all your like healthy habits ingrained in your schedule you're so cute and like I just didn't (laughs) I just would like you know rub him on the back like wow you're amazing look at you like having your nighttime routine you go (laughs) yeah you just like keeping that night right time routine and always going to bed at the same time look at you And while I like go decide to watch like way too much TV into the wee hours of the night, but like, (laughs) but now it feels 
I don't have the same rituals as him, but I'm, I'm finding myself creating rituals around community that are life-giving. And that include those, like I said, opportunities to be seen and heard. And for me to take care of the things that I know that like, I'm not going to be able to get taken care of otherwise, or like enough, like even if every person of color was able to work with a person of color who understood their experience of racial trauma and had a place because it's like racial our racial trauma isn't the only things that we experience but I think if you're not in a safe container or you don't feel like you're in a safe container it just gets ignored but even if every one of us had a place where we thought it would be safe for us to talk once a week it wouldn't be enough room that's still not enough space for what it's like living in this country in all of our shades of color it's really I mean how, like how many every day we hear a new story that mm-hmm. you know that can that shakes us to the core every every story um every story is painful every last one of them every one inflicts a new wound to a wound that was already there that has never had the chance to heal you know so like um even if you do have a therapist of color which you can they exist please like use your energy and your like will to do the work if you haven't been able to find one or just find Alicia <laughs> that'll do that too that's a quick fix um and then on find ways that support and sustain you even still to do this work and it's not like wallowing it in it or complaining about it it's just like sometimes being seen in it sometimes just saying you feel away and someone's like oh I get that mm-hmm. does a lot if someone could, if you could say that and someone says, oh, I feel you, that's how it made me feel too. Or like, this is how I felt about it. Like that goes a long way instead of like, oh, can you tell me more about why it made you feel like, like, no, <laughs> I don't want to tell you why it made me feel that way. Like how many times? What do you mean? <laughs> what are you asking me? You well, know? and it's hard. It's like having to explain a concept that's just second nature to you. And then yes. you have to pause and be like, oh my God. Like, and, and, and then it's like, it is it nice even way? worth it? Yeah. Like if I have to do it from the beginning, listen, if this is not the case for everything under the sun, but this feels like a very special thing. Sometimes when you have to start from the scratch with this, you just end up doing labor. And I'm not doing labor. I'm getting very comfortable since last summer seeing people like squalor and like be lost in their confusion. Yeah. And sitting, like I used to always pitch in and volunteer to explain things to people and help them understand with my righteous indignations calmly subdued and tell them nicely. And now I'm like, mm. It looks like you have a problem <laughs> and I just keep it to myself. You better figure it because out. I'm like, <laughs> not only am I going to do this work for you, you're not going to acknowledge that I'm doing this work for you. And then you know what you're going to do? You might just have me do the same work tomorrow because you didn't want to hear what I said to begin with. So I'm or, just going to not. <laughs> or worse yet, right? Like they, they take that that bite-sized chunk of what they heard or what they understood and they twist it. And then on the next person, they're like, oh, I had a black client once who said this. Don't do that. Right. And it's like, oh, this part of your hair, that's the kitchen, right? Like, no, we're not, we are not (laughs) friends. We're not doing this. Like, and, uh. and I think there is the, the agitation of just 
this can be what it's like. And I think the the hope I want to instill in folks is we are out here. Sometimes it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah, but there and are a it, lot of us. It's not. Yeah, it's not the majority bias. A lot, look, but yeah, <laughs> are, but we exist. Well, and the way that the way that mental health is needed so badly, like every every person of color therapy sh- should be fully booked like and like so busy and the truth is I think a lot of them are but like every new therapist that graduates should literally be have a full <laughs> roster immediately <laughs> right it, it does exist um I think uh oh man that jogged something in my mind about um you know I think that too Sometimes we find someone, right, who we're like, oh, you look like me. I feel like this is going to be great. And then it isn't a good fit, right? Because like not every too. relationship has chemistry. So, I mean, I've been there. You know, I have unfortunately fired a therapist because it was like, no, we, are, we actually aren't a good fit. And that's okay, too. You know, I think sometimes we think it's just going to be magical and perfect. And like any relationship, it takes work. But if it doesn't work for you you can find someone else, right? Like if you have done it once, you can do it again and you can go back to searching on Google or hitting up your contacts. Like, Hey, do you know a therapist? in yes. my area? <laughs> I love that you said that. Cause I think that's one of the easiest way to find someone is to ask around. Like mm-hmm. it can be hard to be willing to say that openly out loud, but really, if you ask around the people that, you know, do you know anyone that might be the easiest way for you to get connected with someone who help, who can help you but also I love what you're saying about like the connection is true you know just because someone is the same race as you doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect fit but I under but I the reason why I emphasize so much like wanting to have that space is because at least you feel like you can say it safely like mm-hmm. you have that you can test out the waters you can not have to necessarily do the work but yes it might require you actually trying people on and seeing if it's a good fit and there's nothing wrong with that I've definitely heard people tell me that they met with someone and then it didn't go well and they threw the whole thing out and I'm like like you're not going to decide you want to be in a relationship and go on one date and then decide you don't want to be in a relationship anymore like you're not going to decide that you're hungry and then get something to eat and then decide it's not good I'm not eating food anymore like (laughs) so so like if you go and you have a meeting with one hour with a therapist and it doesn't turn out to be what you want it to be it's okay yeah and utilize those free, uh, those free phone consults, those free check-ins, whatever they do before you have to like commit, right? Um, email them like, hey, do you offer a free phone consult? And if they don't, I mean, some people are like, oh, I'll give you like a 20 minute for a lower amount or something like that. But trying to find like if they have um, like a video anywhere online, social media, LinkedIn, right? All those good things, just so you can get a feel for somebody, right? And I think that's my, um, my two cents. I'm like, cause it's, what do they say? Good help is hard to find. <laughs> yeah. I, and you know, something that I feel like I want to speak to, because I've actually worked with quite a few healthcare professionals who are white, who helped me. And I think I said that earlier, like, this isn't like a blanket statement that they're not going to be helpful or that you shouldn't trust or that you shouldn't take a chance. 
it's just really, this is really just about acknowledging that when you feel like something's off, when you feel like you can't tell your truth, when you feel like you can't address what needs to be addressed, leave that. Yeah. That you should look for something else. It doesn't mean that like, it doesn't make the other person bad or wrong. Like I don't make them wrong for not knowing my experience, but it is up to me to like attend to that experience. They really can't do it for me. They can't guess it. They need me to fill, if they need me to fill them, fill them in, I'm not like, I don't count them as evil. I just know that like, this isn't about them. <laughs> this is about me, right? This isn't, so I've, I've had a lot of therapists who are not persons of color hold space for me, who did brilliant work with me, who helped me with lots of things. And I can still acknowledge that there are times where there are things that I need to be held by someone who can hold it. And I want to make space for that. I want to make room for that. I don't want to just because the system is ignoring that for us to think that we should ignore it either. So whether they decide in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years that our racial trauma counts, that we should be able to find therapists who work specifically in that area, that we should be able to have safe containers so that we can have those conversations so that therapists, all therapists of all different races can hold space for those things. Well, and I think it's, sometimes it's that idea of like competency, right? Like, oh, I'm going to learn everything I can about this race and I will help them and be the best. And I know everything. I checked the box, right? I took my CEUs. It's like, no. There is nothing that scares me more Mm -mm. than somebody who (laughs) tells me how they took some training that was going to help them. Like nothing scares me more because I'm like, if you think that that thing did the thing, like, I, I don't mind that you say it, but if I bring something and you're like, well, I did this training, so I know I'm, I 100% am uncomfortable. Let me tell you about your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like all the way uncomfortable. They're like, oh, I've had a racial training for this work. And I'm like, yeah, I know no. it's, it shouldn't be that way. It should be that they got the training and then I feel relieved, but there's some level of like entitlement. They're like, oh, I did this training. So now I am the master. Oh, and area. I am the, I'm the expert. I'm like, no, no, no. I hope you should have left that training feeling very humble. Like you don't mm-hmm. know anything at all. And if you left like that from a place of, oh, I actually don't know a lot. It would seem that I need to like simmer down and like not presume that I am a master because I took a training. That's how it's supposed to be. Like, sincerely, you should never leave a training about race feeling like I, I got, and you're not that race. Like I, got I know this. everything. <laughs> um, and I think that part of like having to check yourself, like sometimes people, I, I think um, I was talking to my coworker today about um, how sometimes people need like simple reminders for things. Right. And one of them is like, not everything is for you and that's okay. Yes. Right. Like (laughs) with our society is part of white supremacy delusion is that everything is for them. Right. Mine, mine, mine. (laughs) Yeah. So I've had a many conversations about cultural appropriation that have like made my head want to explode because I'm like, I don't know how to tell you that they lied to you and that everything is not for you. I know you're like, we're supposed to share, but you're not sharing. You're just taking things. Some things are sacred. Leave it alone. Some things are sacred. Something like there are things that don't belong to me. And because my friend has them and they're special to my friend, I want to leave them alone so that my friend can continue to have them and not me have it. So that also 
rings true for like trainings about diversity and equity and all that stuff. If you go to those spaces and you learn from them and you leave feeling like now you got this, you probably missed the training. The training was supposed to show you how much you don't know and how gentle and how careful and how cautious and how unaware you are to what you don't know. So if you leave, if you leave feeling like I got this, you missed it. It was trying to tell you that you don't got it and to like be very tender and cautious about your life as, yeah. as you navigate it from the space of I don't, I don't have it. And I think too, like I am a little skeptical of those trainings and things also, because sometimes it's like, Hey, I stole this information and knowledge from black, brown, indigenous communities, and I repackaged it and sold it as my own. And I don't, I don't really get it, but I'm passing it on to others. And then it's like the misinformation wheel keeps turning. And so you have you know, like someone who, who isn't speaking from a place of experience and is like, but I'm an expert in this. And it's like, no, sit your ass down. You are not, (laughs) you know, who, who, who told you that you could then be an expert and train more folks like, no. And I think like the, the DEI work, the cultural competency work, like, um, a lot of those spaces where, I see things and I'm like, that just does not sit right with my spirit. Like, no. (laughs) Something that always kind of, you know, makes me look around. Like, I'm like, hmm. You know, yeah, like that. (laughs) You all can't see her face, but she knew exactly what I was talking about. The look. But something that like makes me just want to check where I'm at and like what's going on is like, if you need to get a training if you need to have the training on diversity or culture come from a person who's not of that culture if you need that it's probably because you have a hard time listening to the people who are actually of that culture and that says something to me like if you can only hear it from a particular kind of person and that person is not of the orientation of whatever they're talking about then you have to question inside of yourself why you're needing to hear it from that person and why you can't just hear it from the person who has the message to tell you, like that relates mm-hmm. to them. So that always makes me a little bit like, hmm. And, it's yeah, like, and I, I, appreciate, right? I appreciate everybody doing the work, but sometimes it makes me question, like if someone else was telling you this, if the person that this was about was talking to you, would you hear them. I mean, I think the number one reason why people mistake Black women for being angry is like, when we're talking to you, you're not listening. You don't listen. And then when we say it with base, it must be aggression. Like, it's like, you know that if I say it calmly, you're going to like completely ignore me, right? You don't know that. (laughs) Oh yeah. And they'll be like, oh, you know, she didn't sound very confident. She must not know what she's doing, right? if I say it like that, you're not going to listen. And then if I put a little bit of bass in my voice, then you're like yes, aggressive. You're scared. <laughs> and I like, I w- wish, wh- where am I at then? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're I in microaggression city, right? They're right. Like, oh like, I guess she talked ghetto at me. Oh. Yeah. Listen, okay, that's my cue. Once we're there, I'm like, now we've gotten, Alicia and I have gone into the territory of like, we could do this all day. Well, wait, wait, wait. I got one, I got one more thing. No, of course. Go ahead. Uh, so what you reminded me of is people 
doing things that no one asked them to do. So you remember the same summer as George Floyd, there was people walking around with uh, kente claws and people saying like, oh, um, like groups of white folks like walking around in chains to like show their, you know, being sorry for racism. And it was like no one or like taking Aunt Jemima off the syrup, like no one asked you to do those things, right? Like the, those performative acts. Who did you hear that from? Yeah. That came up in a board meeting. Nobody asked you to do that, right? So listen to the people in the community and right. they will tell you the solution, right? Yes. If you need to come up with your own idea, but you can't ask the people what they need, another reason for me to look around, like what's going on? What's going on over here? I'm with you with that 100%. Because I actually just heard someone speaking on this and it, it was, it was very, uh, I appreciated the conversation, but it was just like, it boiled down to like, we don't need allies, we need accomplices. Like, I need you to be willing to do the work and you don't necessarily, you don't know what the work is. Like, you don't. And I need, if you're an accomplice with me, then you can hear me tell you, hey, this is what the team needs. Yeah, I <laughs> want like, you to be down. Yeah, and I want you to be down and this is the part you need to do. But if you if you feel like the way that you're going to help is by coming up with your own plan and creating your own solution, but you think you're helping me, you're mistaken. Mm -hmm. You have that incorrect because um, we know exactly what we need. And if you have and if you've been coming up racking your brain, like, how do I support? How do I help? What do I do? I assure you, a thousand of us are telling are saying what we want. Yeah, but it's like, no, no, ooh, that sounds hard. I don't yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that. That'll make me uncomfortable. Yeah, you know what? Do... Let's just do this this performative thing real quick. I, and and I say this as a person who like is mindful of the people that I have to support, right? Like, there's so many identities that do not encompass me, right? I'm cisgendered. I'm heterosexual. There are so many areas. I'm an able-bodied person. There's so many areas for me where I'm the person who needs to show up as an accomplice. And I understand like, if nobody asked me, <laughs> and I probably just know that from my own experience, if nobody asked me to do the thing and I have to come up with my own idea, I, it is probably not the correct idea. Yeah, right. Cause I don't, the wheel. <laughs> I, I don't have the, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the experience to be doing that. I need to listen. Um, I have to listen and get my marching orders for their fight, not my fight, right? It's our fight, but they lead. So um, it's not just this one-sided, this is what I need. They're like, no, I have to follow those same rules when I'm showing up for other people too. I have to stay in my lane. I need to stay humble. I have to do that. Um, and I stay ready for people to tell me about myself. I'm like, they're going to get me. I'd be calling people out. I know people that come <laughs> and tell me. And I'm going to have to stay humble. And I'm going to have to like lick my wounds, put my head down, listen, and do what they asked me to do. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> exactly. You're right. You're right. <laughs> exactly. You're right. I will. Yep. Correct. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. Thank you for having me. I know this felt like our brunch conversations for sure. Cause we, we talk yeah, about man. it all. <laughs> yeah. It's a way for us to take care. Like you can't be in the system and it's hard to be in the system, want to do good in it, want to create powerful change and not have a place to put all of this stuff that we have to deal with as we do the work, right? Like the only way to stay in the game. And I, and I, and I say this a lot to like, everyone in different fields, right? Because some of my clients are in positions that make them very uncomfortable. It's like, 
sometimes a way to stay in the work is like, you need to find your people, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise it becomes too oppressive. It becomes too toxic. You, you get overburdened by the parts that just don't feel right. And when you can find community, when you can find people who can hold space for you, when you can feel like you're making positive change with them, it's so much easier to navigate. And so like, I'm in the game. I'm not backing out of this game. Like I have my whole coaching practice and I stay in my nursing game. Like I understand that some of my clients, I'll be the only person of color that they see doing the work that I'm doing. Like I Mm -hmm. understand that inherently. And so whatever it is that I need to support me to do that, I try to give myself. And I also acknowledge, like I do it from, it's my decision. I also get to choose when I don't want to do it anymore or whatever. But the thing that sustains me is being able to have conversations with other professionals who can say, yep, that's a problem. Like, how are you dealing with it? This is how I'm dealing with it. How do we want to do it different? How do we, how do we create change? How do we think about it differently? How do we raise our voice? How do we make room for people to just like spend an hour complaining about it and, and talking about how they and share it with other people and who get it too people. yes who might get it too or who don't get it and want to hear what it sounds like I will probably have people listen to this episode who do not have this perspective and have no idea and will be listening in like oh is that what it feels like and is that what's going on and hearing shit that they've never heard of or considered for the first time in their lives that happens all the time and I'm here for that too yeah, let's blow some minds. They're going to be like, oh, I didn't even know. Okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Blind spot. Yeah, we all have them. And it's important to listen to other people just so that we can hear into what's going on in this world of other beautiful humans. You know what I mean? Yes, my All right. So, Alicia, I'm so happy that you came on to talk with me. I feel better already. <laughs> Me too. Just, this was just too. like, I feel energized, you know? Exactly. And, and then I think wild. we have like a week until our next brunch too, or not even that long. So I don't know. Yeah, we're good, which will be fun. Cause then we'll like, we already got, we like shook off a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we can just jump right in. Um, but yeah, so before, before I go, I did want to, you yes. know, give my yes. socials so y'all Tell can find me. all the things. Tell everybody where to find you, how to work yeah. with you, all the ma, things. Ma, ma. Uh, so the easiest way is probably to find me through Instagram. Um, on there, my name is Therapist Alley, so A-L-Y at the end. Um, and then I also have a website, which is my name, aliciacruz.com. Um, and you know, I feel like some people don't know how to spell my name, A-L-Y-S-S-I-A. Um, but yes, you can find me there. If you want to network, you want to connect, you just want to, you know, vent, I'm here. Um, and what else was I going to tell you guys? I also have resources for, if you cannot find someone who accepts your insurance, you know, I've got, I got the connections, right? So hit me up. Let's make it happen. Oh my goodness. My dog is like so sad he saw my son come into the room so he's like let me out all right well I just want everyone to know that I will put all of your information in the show notes so they can get in touch with you and it was a pleasure having this conversation with you and I will see you soon yeah I love you lots I'll talk already love you bye bye (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of the get sacred podcast For more ways to connect, I want you to head to melissaalesian.com. 
To be coached by me, head to my website and schedule a time for us to chat all things sacred and sovereign about your life and your business. The link is in the show notes. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.